0: Uh, my name is Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor at Woodland Hills Church. We're in the book of Luke, of course. We're in Luke chapter 12, of course, but we're actually going to move on a couple verses from the ones that we've been looking at the last three weeks. Uh, I'm going to talk on 12 verses. Uh, this is actually the first of a two-part series we're going to do on worry and anxiety because that's the topic of the passage. Uh, we're entitling this message, Ravens and Wildflowers. And there's Jim LePage's. can you put Ravens and Wildflowers up there? Uh, Can you put the title of it up there? Yeah, there you go. Isn't that a cool graphic? Looks sort of like a 60s drug experience. But it's very, kind of, it's got that hallucinogenic Pink Floyd-esque sort of uh, feel to it. But ravens and wild flowers, and we're reading from Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. Folks, really be attuned to this because uh, this is, the the content of this uh, is radical and has the power to completely set you free. Uh, And on this issue, we Americans need to be set free. You may recall that Jesus in this whole passage has been concerned with making people authentic, authentic kingdom people. Avoid the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He started right at the very beginning of chapter 12 about, uh, about that. Uh, don't put uh, your reputation and don't put, pro, don't, don't put privilege and don't even put a concern for your own life above living authentic for the kingdom. Don't let anything make you duplicitous where your, your, your faith is simply a matter of words and a few religious things that you do. But rather, Jesus is really stressing the need to let the kingdom invade every area of our life, to be totally sold out, Uh, To him, And now what we're going to see in this passage is Jesus is saying that if we do that, we will be free from worry. If our treasure, if our only treasure is the kingdom, the eternal kingdom, we'll be set free from worry. So he says this, starting in verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, in light of everything I've just been telling you, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Because, see, life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Look at the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have any storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, that wealthy king in the Old Testament, uh, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God, clo- God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow it's thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you a little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. And don't worry about it. For the pagan world, those folks who are outside of the kingdom, uh, they, they run after all these things, but your Father knows that you need them. So seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. Don't worry. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He wants to give you the kingdom. It makes him happy to give you the kingdom. So in light of that, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Pray with me here for a moment. Father, I thank you for every person in this auditorium and every person who's listening through podcasts or any other means, every person who's watching via television, and I pray, Lord, that right here and right now, wherever they are, where, whenever they're listening to this, that you'd help them to stay present in that moment and aware of your presence in that moment and to open their minds and their hearts to receive this liberating word that has the power to set us free from strongholds, some, some of which we've, we've maybe wrestled with all of our life. Set your people free to manifest the joy and the peace of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, we pray in all of God's people's sight. Amen. 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 This is a message that I think is so uh, timely for us in America and for the Western world in general, uh, but has something to say to all of us, whatever country we have to be listening in. But in America, we are worried more than ever. There's been a number of studies uh, showing this. Uh, especially after 9-11, the anxiety level of the average American has increased somewhat significantly. Uh, some sociologists are referring to this as an age of anxiety. People are going through a lot of worrying. Uh, anxiety disorders, panic attacks, and phobias and things of that, those sorts, uh, have skyrocketed. Uh, anxiety disorders are, no, are, are now... I've read the number one health problem, mental health problem in America, uh, both with adults and children. Children are, are, are experiencing more anxiety than ever before. 13% of all Americans uh, suffer with an anxiety disorder, which is astounding if you think about it, more than one out of 10. But even for those who don't have sort of a life-crippling anxiety disorders, uh, the anxiety level has increased. Sales of anti-anxiety prescription drugs have more than tripled in the last 15 years. So there's just a whole lot of worrying going on. And it's not hard to understand why. There's a lot to worry about. And um, our minds are on that a lot. I mean, on the the one hand, there's just the -the run-of-the-mill sort of things that we can worry about. We worry if our marriages are going to make it or not. Is this going to last? We worry about our kids. Are the kids going to grow up right where my, will my Johnny turn out to be a saint or will he... Uh, Turn out to be an axe murderer, like it looks like he's going in the direction right now. Uh, What's going to happen with my kids? We worry about that sort of thing. Will I be able to afford my mortgage? Will I be able to keep my job? We worry about aging like never before. Our anxiety is, is wrapped around the pounds that we're putting on, the wrinkles that we're developing, the aches and pains that are in our body, the vigor that we're losing, our sex appeal that seems to be waning away, our sex drive maybe that is waning away. And so we're pouring billions and billions and billions of dollars into the youth industry to get our liposections lipos and our facelifts and our breast implants and you name it. We're, we're anxious about terrorist attacks. Be very worried about that because even as I'm talking right now, there are terrorist cells forming in America. Uh, They say that all over the place. You can't possibly monitor all of them. We do our best to protect against this, but sooner or later, everybody knows it's just a matter of time before they strike again. Be very scared. It could be in St. Paul. Maybe during the Republican National Convention. It's possible. (laughs) And then if you're... Okay, with that one, you ought to be worried about nuclear, the spread of nuclear weapons. There's already seven countries that got them, and others are right on the verge, and some of them aren't very pro-America either. Uh, Syria and North Korea and Iran. It's just a matter of time, we're told, before you can't keep information isolated forever. And they'll they'll get the technology, and after they get the technology, it's just a matter of time before the terrorists get the technology, and think of the apocalypse that's going to happen when that happens. And it could be at any time. Uh, there's, of course, global warming that we're all concerned with. Some of the reports tell us that the coasts are going to be flooded with 20 feet of water by the year 2050. There'll be uh, massive famines in some areas there'll be, uh, uh, and, and droughts. There'll be flooding in other areas. Approximately 1 billion, some experts say, 1 billion people will be displaced. It's going to cause government upheaval. It's going to rock the world and a lot of species are going to go extinct. We'll have diseases that we never dreamed of having. Uh, It's looking very, very poor and bad. And what some people are saying is is, is, is it's already too late no matter what we do to curb the emissions and all that stuff. I mean, China and India, they're really just coming into the Industrial Revolution and they're cranking out this carbon monoxide stuff all over the place, CO2. And and, um, so what's going to happen here? That's something to worry about. There's this pandemic. In fact, a couple pandemics that are just waiting in the wings for an opportunity to strike us all dead. Uh, you know, we haven't heard about bird flu in the last couple years, but it hasn't gone away. It's still out there. It's, just, it's trying to figure out, you know, this you know, virus is trying to figure out a way to go human to human. And once it goes human to human, oh man, it's going to be nasty. They, you know, in the Spanish flu in 1918, which was really the American flu that we blamed on the Spanish, but uh, uh, it was the American flu, but 1918, uh, uh, there's was, there was 50 million people died from this flu. It was that, it was that nasty. And they say this bird flu has, has the potential of being worse than that, And if the, but if, if the, the Spanish flu happened today, instead of killing 50 million, because the world is smaller now, and some of there's much more travel so quickly, it'd kill over 500 million, and maybe up to a billion. And if it was stronger than the Spanish flu, it would even be worse. There's other pandemics out there as well, and they're saying that in, in terms of cycles, we've gone a long cycle without a pandemic. We're due for one. Usually these things hit like every 30 years, and so we're way overdue. So that's something to worry about. There's a new uh, thing out there now called bridge phobia. I don't know if you knew about that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Trying to figure out where that one came from. But there are, there are masses of people who can't cross bridges. In the last six months, they, they're, terro- they're just terrified going over bridges. Because it turns out those things can collapse. And the only these little screws not, not being checked up on, and it's going to collapse. How do you know that you won't be the one on the bridge when it collapses? You can't prove that, that, that it won't be that way. Something to worry about. Food poisoning. Gosh, we're hearing a lot about salmonella and stuff like that. People are dying from that, getting weird diseases and whatnot, and our meat packaging plants. People are dying weird deaths, getting weird stuff. What's going on there? Food poisoning. Something to worry about. Lead poisoning. Uh, yeah, that's a new one. You know, uh, uh, The toys that your kids play, play with, what are they made out of, and where do they come from? Our pets are getting poisoned, for crying out loud. For us who love pets, this is concerning. And mercury's in our fish. What's going to happen with that? People are more and more worried about secondhand f- smoke. It's become a, a real phobia. You know, someone three miles away has got a cigarette going, and you might die from it. And then those cell phones, do we really know what happens to brain cells when you have that much radiation going into your Come on, uh, we're the guinea pigs on that one. We could all have Alzheimer's in three years because of the cell phones. Who knows? A lot of things to worry about, folks. Be scared. Be very, very scared. We live in a scary world. And the thing that Americans worry most about uh, something that's new in the last 30, 40 years is that, that uh, there is a, a, a genuine anxiety that a good portion of Americans have over simply the possibility of not living the American dream. You might not get the life that you think you deserve. The house and the car and the clothes and the reputation and the success. And for the first time in history so far as we can tell, well, there's a population of people who experience the possibility of not getting something they want as though it was a threat to their life. We have a, the anxiety we, we have about that. This new consumer anxiety uh, we experience as something of a threat. So we're worried about that as well. We train our kids to be worried about that. What are you going to do when you grow up? Start thinking about that. Johnny, you're almost six. Come on. <laughs> so th- this level of worry is, 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 is harming us. We weren't made to live like this. Worry is physically harmful. When Jesus said, who of you can add a single hour to your life by worrying? He could have immediately added, but all of you can take an hour away from your life by worrying. In fact, you can take days. You can take years from your life by worrying. Physically, it's harmful uh, to us. It kills. Uh, And here's why. We have an inbuilt fight or flight mechanism. I'm sure you've heard about this. When we're faced with an immediate threat, our pituitary gland sends out a chemical that then releases a chemical reaction, which results in a chemical cocktail bombarding our, our body, our system. And it is there to make us have a, a, uh, an extraordinary kind of strength and attention and vigilance to the issue at hand, where we make a decision, we're either going to resist it, fight it, or we're going to run. The snake in the grass thing, boom, uh, you're immediately uh, you know, in, in this, this hypervigilant state. It's the fight or flight mechanism. All this, these chemicals going through our body makes our heart rate go far up, our breathing goes up, we start sweating, we become hyper focused. One shot of this chemical cocktail, uh, just, just one momentary shot, takes 18 minutes for the body to process. Which is why, like if you get into a major fight, you know, you're just so hot and bothered, you're arguing, you, you didn't stay present with God, you know, you, you kind of lost it there. 15 minutes later, your heart's still going, you're still kind of breathing hard, you still feel the effect of that. That's the chemicals in your system. It was that fight-or-flight mechanism. Um, it's meant, it was designed to be a short-term emergency solution to a real danger. It was meant to be rare, and it was meant to be short. But see, when we live in a state of worry, there's some element of that chemical reaction always going on in, in our, our, our system. We're, we're, we're living on edge way too much. Our, that chemical cocktail is being, being shot through our body, and the problem is, is it stresses everything. It's an unnatural state, and it stresses everything. Our immune system gets compromised, our heart, liver, our libido. Uh, it even alters our, the, the, the chemistry of our brain. Everything in our system gets compromised when it, there's too much of this uh, adrenaline and other chemicals going through our body. There's a, a, a correlation between how much you worry and how sick you are, how, how, how able you are to fight cancer cells, the, on, the onset of Alzheimer's disease, and many other things. In fact, it's estimated in 2007 that the U.S. It cost us roughly $42 billion. just worrying cost us, they estimate $42 billion in terms of loss of uh, work time and doctor visits. One study said that that up to 90% of the ailments we go to the doctor for are at least related indirectly to our anxiety level, our worry. Now, we've got other ways of staying alive longer. Uh, we're, We're winning the battle in other areas, so maybe we shouldn't be so worried about the length of our life but the quality of our life. Worry is one of the all-time great life quality killers. One of the reasons why is this. You can't possibly be happy, let alone joyful, in a state of anxiety. It's it's impossible. Physiologically, it's impossible. Because the chemical cocktail that the pituitary gland sends out into your body is designed to tell you things aren't okay. Things are way not okay. Okay? That's the fight-or-flight mechanism. Happiness and joy is a matter of, of feeling like things are okay. In fact, there's a, uh, there's, there's a set of chemicals that go along with that, that kind of peaceful feeling. Those two things are antithetical, even on a physical level. You can't be feeling peaceful if your body is telling you things aren't okay. So it's the quality of our life. It's undermining us physically, emotionally, spiritually. What do we do about this? We ought to be very worried about this, don't you think? See, I probably just installed a new worry. Like, oh no, I'm killing myself because I'm worrying too much. Oh, they're going to do all this. One more thing to worry about. Worry about worry. Okay, look at what. What, what do we do to get free of this? I'm going to give three kind of real practical tips and then I'm going to turn to the teaching of Jesus, uh, which is on a totally different level. But there's three little quick practical tips that, that maybe can help and then we'll turn to the message of Jesus. First of all, If you need medical help, get medical help. If you need psychiatric help, get psychiatric help. There's no harm. There's no no shame in that. In a fallen world, nothing operates the way it's supposed to operate. And for some people, the the, the chemistry of the brain is not balanced the way it's supposed to be balanced. And if your neurotransmitters and neuroregulators aren't firing right, you're going to have a hard time being at peace. Some of it's just a physiological thing, and there's no more shame in getting that taken care of than if your stomach is upset or, or you got anything else going on, wrong with you, you see a specialist on it. So point number one is that you might have something on a physical level in your brain that is not working right, get it taken care of. Secondly, and this is very, very important, if you're at all prone towards worry and anxiety, watch Let's News. Okay, you're tracking with me. All right, you're tracking with me. This is huge. If you're prone towards worry or depression, watch less news. Uh, Here's the thing. If you're in America, actually, statistically, you are in a very safe place. Um, You're far safer than most people on the planet, and you're certainly much, much safer than most people have been throughout history. The chances of something catastrophic happening to you are very, very small. Now, it's possible. You could be coming down with cancer. You could get Alzheimer's. The bridge could collapse while you're over it. Yes, it could happen. But chances are that it won't. You're statistically very safe, and yet we don't feel safe. Uh, we're, we're much more anxious than, than, uh, than, than people, most people in like third world, world countries. Why is that? We're much safer than they are, but we feel more threatened. We, think about this. A hundred years ago, a mere hundred years ago, the only catastrophes you ever experienced were the ones that happened to you or to your, your, your loved ones in, in the immediate vicinity, in your locale. Maybe once in a lifetime or so you experience a catastrophe more frequently in, in catastrophic times, but you, you only really experience the stuff that was in your locale. You heard about catastrophes in other part of the, parts of the world, but the information got to you much later because tra- information didn't travel very fast, and it was just information. Hey, did you hear about the, the earthquake in, you know, Lisbon where uh, thousands of people died? Happened six months ago. Oh, really? That's too bad. But life has already moved on. That's how we're wired uh, to process catastrophes. But see, now, we have via the news, via the internet, via, our, iP- via our, our iPods, we have the capacity to experience firsthand catastrophes as they happen. And we see them every day. You can check your... your, your Blackberry or whatever the mechanism is these days that you do this with, I don't know. I'm technologically challenged. But those things you carry that you can just push it on. And you get the news 19 times a day if you want. Video right there. You can choose what news thing you want to watch 19 times a day. And more often than not, it's something catastrophic. Why? Because that's what people want to watch. You hardly ever have good news on the news. It's almost always bad news. They could title the news. Uh, terrible, terrible things that happen today that you want to know about. And you tune in there. Once in a while, they have a feel-good story about somebody who did this or that. Wonderful. But those are few and far between. And they sensationalize the bad news. I mean, they, they, they're competing for attention here. So they want to make you know how bad this is and why you need to tune into their station to hear about it. And so we get the worst that the world has to offer every day. Every murder, every sicko, every natural disaster, every heinous you know, uh, massacre that occurs, we find out about it. We're right there. Cameras are on the scene. We get to see the bodies mutilated and that goes on day in and day out. And we don't just hear about it, we experience it. It's vivid, it's concrete. They say that after 9-11, so many people were glued to the television watching that scene, that a, a, a significant portion of people had to go to, through therapy uh, to get treated for post-traumatic stress disorder. Because they were so viscerally connected to the event on the television that it was, they experienced it as though it happened to them. And they were traumatized by that. See, our brain locks in vivid images, which is why if you're not going to, whatever you do, pay attention to the media, the, the medium you use to get the news, because reading it usually is less intrusive on the brain than watching it. When you see something vivid, the brain locks it in, and the brain says, bad, and the brain says, avoid that, and the brain says, interpret the world through that image. The world is a very sad and very scary place. Be afraid, be very, very afraid, locks it in, and so it keeps on reminding us of this stuff. See, folks, here's the thing. is We aren't wired to handle that sort of overload of catastrophic information day in and day out. We don't do well with that. What makes it worse is this. The whole purpose for the fight-or-flight mechanism is to act, either fight or flight. That's the purpose of it. But when you're watching something catastrophic on the news, something terrible on the news, it gets activated, but you can't do anything with it. Very little you can do with it. You can't act. That's why you feel so helpless. Like, oh, we should do something. What are we going to do? You know, um, Myanmar. My, what are you going to do? They won't, you know, they won't even let our government help them. What do you do? You feel so helpless. But if you don't act on it, it just keeps on thinking. It needs to keep on reminding you until you do act. And so we walk around with all this stress inside of our head. Here, here's what I would recommend. A lot of specialists recommend this, and, and that is to limit. Especially if you're prone to worry or depression, limit the amount of news that, 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 that you expose yourself to, certainly the amount of news that you watch, the, the, the number of vivid catastrophes that you let into your, into your head. And when you witness a vivid catastrophe on the news, do something. You can pray. You say a prayer over the people that are suffering there and, and just cover them in prayer. And that, that's doing good. You're doing something. You're doing what you can do. And if God leads you to do something more than that, then do it. God may put on your heart to send money to a certain organization or maybe even to join a group that's going down to uh, wherever the catastrophe is to help out. If God leads you to do that, do that. Now, you can't do that very often. You can't do it with everything. But once in a while, God may lead you to do that. If God leads you to do that, do that. But, and this may sound callous and cold-hearted, but I think it's so important. Having done what you're supposed to do, move on. Don't keep brain space allocated to feeling miserable about the misery in the world. Now enter into solidarity and suffer with those that God calls you to enter into solidarity and suffer with. We're supposed to be people who enter into solidarity and suffer with people. But you can't enter into, enter into and suffer in solidarity with the entire world. You aren't God. Uh, you're not Jesus Christ remind yourself about that once in a while you can't shoulder all the pain and the problems of the world if you try it'll make you very very cynical it will fry your nerve endings in time you'll you'll be so numb to everything that you won't be doing anything you're no good for anybody walking around feeling perpetually miserable about the plight of the Chinese or the plight of the people in Myanmar or, or, or wherever the latest catastrophes happen walking around with that misery in your head isn't doing them any good and it's not doing you any good The reason we do it partly is because we feel guilty that it didn't happen to us. We have survivor's guilt. Like, oh, those poor people, I'm so blessed and they're so poor. And so by making ourselves miserable, we feel a little bit less guilty. Knock it off. Guilt is not a kingdom sentiment. Uh, Do what God tells you to do. Act in the way God tells you to act But having done that. Take the misery and the pain of the world and give it back to God. His shoulders are way bigger than yours. He can shoulder it, you can't. You're not supposed to be walking around miserable. Uh, this is a lesson some of us have to learn. I, I, I had to learn it because I, I have a tendency to sort of be idealistic and absorb more pain than I'm, I'm supposed to absorb. And what God will tell you is he'll say, look, at, since you're not God, you're just my servant, here's the slice of the world I want you to take care of. Be responsible for that. But then leave the rest to me and, and live, live with joy, not, not in misery. And the final thing I'd just say about as a practical tip is this. Uh, there's a putting off strategy. Put off worrying. That works for a lot of people that a lot of therapists recommend. And and it it just goes like this. When you live in worry, what's going on is that you are constantly reminding yourself of possible worst-case scenarios. Here's how bad it could go. And your brain thinks it's doing you a favor because it could go that bad. It's possible. Not likely, but it's possible. And so it's warning you over and over again. It's like um, uh, it takes every opportunity to to, uh, put up a Post-it note to remind you. Don't forget You could die today. Uh, The the, the time clock might go off today. That bridge might not be safe. The plane might not not be safe. Your son could could turn out to be an axe murderer. Uh, And so it it reminds you because it doesn't want you to forget. And that's why you try to go to sleep at night. The post-it note starts popping up, you know? You could die tonight. You're on vacation and you're starting to worry about, you know, who knows what. We just can't find the off button on this. So what they recommend is, is this. Since the the strategy of the brain is trying to get you to remember, it doesn't want you to forget. If you act on it, if you act on it, bring an action to it, it tends to bring a quiet to it. Get a piece of paper and title it, Things That I Will Worry About Later. And then write down all your worries. And you're telling your brain, hey, I got you covered. Thanks a lot for giving me that information. Very important. It's right there on the paper. Now go to sleep. (laughs) And it's a way of tricking your brain to give it permission to shut up once in a while. And it's a uh, helpful strategy. So if you t- are inclined to worry, write it down on the I will worry about it later list. And every time you up, look on it, it will say later. Oh, so not now, later. I'm supposed to worry about it. So there you go. Okay, those are just some helpful tips. Jesus' approach to worry is much more radical than this. And Jesus' approach to worry is, I think, much more helpful than those tips, as helpful as they are. Because he goes, he, he, he isn't about giving us a coping mechanism for worry. He's giving us a way to be free from worry. But it's a radical approach. And I'm going to just kind of give the basic thesis of these passages uh, this week, and I'll I'll nuance it and answer some questions next week. I want us to first notice that Jesus in this passage is not, not trying to give us little tips to be happier and to be healthier. That's not Jesus' main concern. That is the main concern of most people today. And so, what happens is a lot of preachers and teachers make that Jesus' concern, and they turn Jesus into sort of a self-help guru who will give us five tips on how to feel more secure, how to be healthier, and how to be happier. And we turn Jesus into sort of the quintessential example of a self-help modern guru. And you give some good tips when you're preaching when you do that, but, but you miss the profoundness of the, the message of Jesus and the radical edge of the message of Jesus because this stuff goes way beyond tips on being healthier and happier. The concern for Jesus in this passage... And it's a concern for Jesus all the time. It's not that we just become happier people or healthier people or feeling more secure, but it's to make us authentic people, authentic kingdom people, people over whom God reigns. That's the kingdom of God. Because Jesus knows that if we are authentic kingdom people and God reigns in our life, we'll tend to be happier, we'll tend to be healthier, we'll tend to feel more secure. But If we seek to try to feel happier, healthier, and more secure without seeking first the kingdom, we won't feel healthier, happier, and more secure, and we're probably going to miss the kingdom. So the bullseye is always the kingdom. If you get the kingdom, everything else you need to get is going to be given to you. But if you don't get the kingdom, you lose everything. That's why Jesus says, and this is the punchline of this passage, verse 31, seek his kingdom. That's always his message. Seek his kingdom, the reign of God, and these things will be given to you as well. That is a radically different focus than what you get with the self-help gurus. Not that they don't have good tips. They got good tips. But his message is much more radical. Now you see how different his orientation is from the contemporary self-help guru orientation Well, you look at his analogies and ask certain questions about his analogies. Follow me on this because this is going to be a little different than what I think a lot of you have heard in the past about this. Jesus says, Consider the ravens. Those birds, they don't sow or reap. They don't have storerooms or barns, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. You'll remember last week, in fact, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about the rich farmer. The rich farmer sowed and reaped, he got a real good harvest, and then he started, he planned on building barns and storehouses. And he was a fool for that reason, because he was trying to hoard everything, he wasn't rich towards God. So what Jesus is saying here is don't be like that rich farmer who had storehouses and was always worried about that stuff. Rather, be like the ravens. Be like the ravens. Live like the ravens. Okay, so we're supposed to trust God for food the way ravens trust God for food. Got that. But here's the thing. I'm just wondering here. It's always good to ask questions. Ravens sometimes starve to death, don't they? I've never known one personally to starve to death, but I'm thinking they do. Uh, And in fact, ravens get eaten by other animals. And ravens die horrible deaths sometimes. You see them as roadkill. And so how is appealing to ravens supposed to make us feel more secure? Trust God like the ravens. Yeah, well, the ravens starve. Thank you very much. But it gets worse. Then Jesus says, here's my second example. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Okay, so we're not to worry about what we wear because we're supposed to trust God that he'll clothe us just like he clothes the wild flowers. Wonderful. But Jesus himself admits that the wild flowers sometimes aren't that well clothed because they get burned up in the fire. So how is this supposed to help make us feel more secure and more at peace and not worry? It seems like Jesus is saying, you guys, here's the deal. Don't worry. Trust God. Just like the carefree ravens who sometimes starve. And trust God. Just like the carefree flowers who sometimes get burned up. (laughs) Wonderful. Now we all feel secure. (laughs) If we're puzzled by this, I think it's because we think Jesus is trying, he's trying to carry out an agenda that he's not trying to carry out. We think he's trying to carry out a modern self-help guru agenda when in fact he's carrying out a kingdom agenda. Uh, We think Jesus is trying to alleviate our worry by promising us that God will give us health, happiness, and security here and now in this world. And if that's what Jesus is trying to give us, he's not doing a very good job. But I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to give us. Because Jesus knows very well that ravens sometimes starve and get eaten by by other animals. And Jesus knows very well, as he tells us in this passage, that wildflowers, while they're beautiful, while they exist, they get burned up in the oven and, and killed in other ways in a split second. In fact, Jesus knows very well that there are people who are kingdom people and who trust God with all their might, but who also starve. And there are people who trust God with all their might, but they're also naked. And there are people who trust God with all their might, and they die horrible deaths. In fact, memory serves me correct, about eight verses earlier, Jesus told his disciples, you're going to be delivered up before authorities, and they're going to persecute you, and you've got to be willing to die. But don't worry about that in those situations. Just say whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to say. So Jesus is very aware that uh, bad things can happen to good people, just like bad things happen to ravens and bad things happen to flowers. He's obviously not trying to make us feel secure on that basis. What Jesus is doing is this. The point isn't about the security, the security of the ravens or the flowers. The point is about the carefreeness of the ravens and the flowers. Ravens and flowers trust God to feed them and clothe them. And then when they die, they die, but they don't worry about it. Ravens and flowers, they live fully in the moment under the reign of God. As long as they live, but then they die. Of course they die, but the reason they live fully is because they don't worry about their dying. They're carefree. So also, Jesus is teaching us, live fully under the reign of God in the present moment. Don't worry about preserving your life. Don't worry about storing up treasures. Trust God to meet your basic needs. And if it turns out you starve like ravens sometimes starve, so what? Ravens don't worry about that stuff. And neither should you because you're much more valuable than ravens. God's going to take care of it. It'll be all right. Uh, Trust God to meet your basic needs, but if you get burned up like the flowers get burned up, so what? You don't see flowers worrying about that. Well, you're much more valuable than flowers. Why should you worry about that? It's going to be all right. Chill a little bit on that. Let your worries go. Live as carefree as the ravens and the flowers. Be fully alive under the reign of God in the present moment. Be as carefree as the raven and shine as radiant as the flower. And don't let the worries tangle you up. Now, here's the the deal. Is that unlike ravens and flowers, we have a capacity to worry. Because unlike ravens and flowers, we have a capacity to set our heart and make our treasure in the world here and now. We set our heart on this world. And we worry. This is getting to the core of everything right here. We worry because we make a treasure of things that can't possibly last. We we, we make a treasure of things that the moth can eat and that thieves can steal. And if that's where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And if that's where your heart is, that's what you're going to worry about. Because if, if the thief can steal it, you've got to be vigilant against the thief. And if the moth can eat it, you've got to be vigilant against that moth. And therein lies our worry. We worry because we, 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 we put our identity and our worth and our security and our happiness, it gets wrapped up in stuff that the moth and the thieves can take. If your treasure is your youth, you can't help but worry about aging. If your treasure is your money, you can't help but worry about the bad economy. Our treasure is in the things that, that the world can take away. Uh, you can't help but if, if your treasure is, 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 is uh, in this world, then you've got to worry about the terrorists because terrorists can take away your treasure. Nuclear missiles can, can, can totally annihilate your treasure. Pandemics! can take away your treasure. Global warming can totally undermine your treasure. Cancer, uh, the heart attack that you might be having tonight can take away your treasure, so you're, you're, you're going to be filled with worry. Clinging to those sorts of things, it can all be brought to a sudden end. And on some level, you know that you will eventually lose it, so you've got to be worried about it. Jesus isn't saying don't worry because these things can't happen to you. Is not what he's saying. He's saying don't worry because these things can happen to you, but it doesn't matter. Because Jesus' solution, and it's so radical, is to say, "Let go of all those things as your treasures, and have one treasure, and that one treasure is the kingdom of God." His punch is this: verse thirty-four. Do not be afraid; don't worry, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He it pleases him; you don't have to work for it. You don't have to straight. He wants to give it to you—the entire kingdom. And if you got the kingdom, you don't got to worry about anything. Uh, that's why in the next verse, Jesus says, "Hey, since you got the kingdom." Go sell all you got and give it to the poor. Who needs to hang on to anything if you've got the eternal kingdom? We've been given the kingdom. Uh, We're to make that our one treasure. And if we do that, you see, we don't have any worries because the moth can't eat the kingdom. The thief can't eat the kingdom. Pandemics don't touch the kingdom. Global world warming is no concern for the kingdom. Aging doesn't hurt the kingdom. Terrorists can't bomb the kingdom. Nuclear missiles can't damage the kingdom. Your cancer, your heart attack, whatever happens to you is not going to affect the kingdom because God's kingdom, and it's the only thing you can say this about, God's kingdom lasts forever and ever and ever because he's the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords and of his reign. The Bible says there will be no end. Put all your eggs in that basket. Make that your treasure. Make that your heart one thing that does not pass away. We're to enjoy every other thing. And there's a place for being concerned about things where you act on it, but it doesn't just roam around in your head forever and ever. But our heart and our treasure, our identity, our worth and our security is to be rooted in one thing and one thing only. And that is the kingdom of God that never, ever, ever ends. Put your heart there. And the irony is this. You, we, we do life much, much better when we don't need to live. We really do. Uh, we're much more effective at doing life when we don't need to live. Uh, when, we, when we need to live, when we need the stuff of the world for our worth and identity, it constrains us. It, it, it blocks our creativity. That anxiety just kind of negates stuff. But you will find you're much, more, you're much better at deal with, dealing with the problems that you confront on a daily basis if you are getting life from some source other than the problems. When you've died to the world, you can fully live to the world. Now you can kick in the passion. Now you kick in the creativity. Now there's this effectiveness. And this isn't about like heaven's my home so I don't give a rip about anything in the world. No, we care about the world. We care about the issues of the world. But you'll find you're much better at being passionate about the issues of the world and passionate and and effective at dealing with the issues of the world when you're getting life from a source other than this world. We were meant to live carefree, free to live with open palms. We're not clinging to anything because all of our grasping is on the one who's grasping us and that is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want to invite the worship team to come up here as I lead us in this little spiritual exercise. Would you close your eyes? I want to just ask this one simple question. What are you worried about? Right here, right now. What are you worried about? What are you worried about? And maybe there's a whole catalog of things. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you one thing. One thing that you tend to turn over and over and over in your mind. And then, Holy Spirit, will you help each one of us in this auditorium and listening through iPod or whatever? Show us what's behind that worry. What are we clinging to? What are we grabbing onto in an, in, in an inordinate way? And when you locate that thing, represent it somehow in your mind, whatever it is, you have your heart, your treasure is something that fades, is threatened, and therefore you're worried. Will you surrender that to God? Picture yourself holding it, if you will, you're clinging to it, whatever that thing is that's causing the worry. Can you just open up your palms, your hands, your fingers? You might even want to physically do that as you're going through this exercise. Open up your hands. We're meant to live with open palms. Easy come, easy go. Open up your palms and hear the Lord say, you can trust me with that. You can. It doesn't belong to you. Let it go. Let it go as much now as if you just died. We live much better when we live as people who have already died. Let it go. And just feel the release there. And trust God for it. Financial worries, we we turn those over to God. doesn't mean you're not going to think about your finances, but there shouldn't be that worry there. Turn them over to God. Seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. Trust Him with your finances, and if there's ever a time when you're supposed to be broke, you'll be broke. (laughs) Okay, worse things have happened. Let it go, let it go. You'll be better with your finances when you don't need the finances. We're better at our health when we don't need the health. The only thing we really need, we've already got. Forever. Jesus Christ. Lord, will you just free your people, free your people to live in the joy and the fullness of peace that you came to give us, to dance, to live carefree, not clingy. Lord, now as we go to take up this offering, we do it with an acknowledgement that everything we have is yours, including ourselves, And we offer it up to you. Lead us and guide us and what we're supposed to do with it. Meet the needs of this ministry. And be glorified. And then, Lord, as we turn to worship you in song, focus our attention on you and nothing other than you because you're worth that. You're worthy of that. Help us to put aside all the cares and the concerns of the day to exalt you and give you the glory that is to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. There's nothing as freeing as being in the presence of God, knowing who your Lord is, worshiping him, claiming His holy and his goodness, and just to be caught up into that dance with him. That's that's freedom. I, I just pray that we walk free. He died to set us free, and we have the power in the kingdom to be free. He's given us the kingdom, the eternal kingdom. We'll reign with him forever and ever. What worry could we have, really? Surrender it all to Him. I encourage you to do that. God is so good, isn't He? Any good? Isn't he? I just, yes, He's so good. He's, he's, uh, he's good. There He is. Praise, praise, praise! I like to ask the prayer teams to come forward, and if you're here this morning for any need whatsoever, and I specifically, for some reason, want to point out physical need, an ailment of some sort, where you come forward. And we have a prayer team that would love to just spend time praying with you. If you're here this morning and you really don't know what this is about, uh, you have never really surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, would you please come forward and just talk to these folks, and they'll explain to you how to really enter into the kingdom and become a kingdom person. Uh, Don't forget that we've got uh, lunch now outside in the gathering area. You can come at it from two different angles. There's a table there. There's lines on both sides. And and meet some people and get some lunch and support our, our youth group. Lord, as we leave this place, God, we do it with the uh, awareness that you're always around us and present to us, and you've died to set us free. Lord, help us to walk in that freedom, to surrender all worries and concerns over to you. Give us wisdom about that. Lord, God, help us to walk in the carefree joy and peace of, of, of the kingdom, and to manifest that. And Lord, to share the good news with all the knotted up people in our life, that they may be free as well. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said... Amen, God bless you guys, grow and build the kingdom.